Hello everyone, welcome back to Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper. Sorry we're a little late in the week here, but I think it will be a good one and worth the wait. We are going to be discussing Jefferson Airplane's Surrealistic Pillow album for its 55th anniversary. Before we get going, I just want to thank you for stopping by. I know the amount of alone time that it takes to get through a podcast isn't always easy to come by these days, but I appreciate you entrusting me with yours. As always, I encourage you to follow the show on any and all social media platforms so that you can be kept abreast of all the latest happenings pertaining to the show. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok, rocktalk.dr.cropper, on Twitter at rocktalkdrcrop with two Ps, and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper. And you can also email me, rocktalk.dr.cropper at gmail.com. And please feel free to reach out via any of those channels if you have any questions for me, feedback, topics that you would like me to cover, which if you would like priority sequence for, or you just have an appetite for a bit more content, consider subscribing to Dr. Cropper's Office Hour, the Apple Podcasts exclusive premium spinoff of the show for $4.99 American per month. You get access to a minimum of two subscriber-only bonus episodes in addition to the uh, priority sequence for the topic requests and 10% off of merchandise, which we can talk about at the end. And lastly, if you feel so inclined to leave a rating and review with the streaming platform that you use, if that's an option wherever you listen, those are very helpful to me and much appreciated. I know that's been an option on Apple Podcasts for some time now, and Spotify added the feature about a month ago. So for those of you who listen there, uh, you're now able to review should you so choose. All right, so Jefferson Airplane's Surrealistic Pillow, 55th Anniversary. As this is my first Jefferson Airplane episode, I will start by explaining my journey with them a little bit and how I got into them. They're actually uh, one of the bands that I've been into the longest. I've mentioned several times how I got into The Doors first, and Jefferson Airplane were pretty soon after that. Uh, for my, I think it was my 10th birthday, I received their platinum and gold collection in my uh, first batch of albums that I ever got. My dad and stepmom gave me some uh, CDs for my birthday. I think it was 10. I got Jefferson Air Jefferson Airplane Platinum and Gold Collection, ACDC Live Collector's Edition, Waiting for the Sun and the Soft Parade by the Doors, and Queen Greatest Hits. I think those five. I think that's it. Um, and I don't remember like really getting into all of the songs on it, but definitely somebody to love grabbed me right away, much in the same way that Light My Fire did when I first heard The Doors. And that's been uh, one of my favorite, Somebody to Love has been one of my favorite songs uh, ever since. And then how I came to check out this album and move beyond the greatest hits, uh, is a very hippie sort of story, I feel. I was in Silver Spring, Maryland for a family reunion in August 2018. That's a suburb near DC, Baltimore area. Um, and I wandered into a record store while the rest of the family was shopping in a, a place much less interesting than that, like a, a TJ Maxx or something. 
Anyhow, so I wander into this record store and they had converted scratched records into bowls by uh, putting them in the oven and then sort of this, the sides come up and it gets all wavy and kind of looks like a flower. So I thought they were really cool looking and decided that I would get one as a centerpiece for a coffee table or something. And I wanted to pick one that was an album I actually liked. I didn't see any albums that I had heard before, but one of them was Surrealistic Pillow, and that caught my eye because I obviously knew who Jefferson Airplane were, and it had the track listing on the label of the record in the middle, which is like the bottom of the dish. Um, and I realized that most of my favorite songs from that Greatest Hits album were on here. And I thought the title sounded sufficiently psychedelic for my eventual bohemian bachelor pad, so I pulled the trigger. Uh, not too uh, difficult of a, a purchase to make. I think it was like four ninety nine or something. Anyway, um, so I still have that right now. It houses my uh, wallet and keys and other random uh, things that guys don't have the luxury of having a purse to carry around in. Um, but I, I should probably should have bought more. I think they're a great decor piece. What a cool idea. Anyhow, so that got this album in my head. And then eventually I uh, listened to it to hear the songs that I hadn't heard before and, uh, you know, hear them in their proper context with the, the running order of the album and really liked it. So that's how I got into Jefferson Airplane. As far as the band history leading up to this album, they formed right around the same time as the Grateful Dead playing their first show as Jefferson Airplane on August 13th, which is my dad's birthday, actually, 1965. So that would be his uh, seventh birthday at the Matrix in San Francisco. Uh, the Grateful Dead played their first build as the Warlocks on May 5th, 65 at Magoo's Pizza Parlor in Palo Alto. So uh, the airplane played their first show just a couple months after the Dead's first show. Marty Ballin, Paul Kantner, and Yorma Kakinen had been there from the beginning. Jack Cassidy replaced Bob Harvey, who played upright bass on bass before the end of 65. Uh, they wanted an electric bassist, understandably. And their debut album, Jefferson Airplane Takes Off, was released in September of 1966, and it went gold even though they had yet to appear on TV or play outside of San Francisco. And it does feature two of my favorite songs of theirs, It's No Secret and Come Up the Years. Anyway, between that album and this one, Spencer Dryden replaced Skip Spence on drums and Grace Slick replaced signed Tolly Anderson on vocals. Uh, Dryden was a jazz drummer, which is usually the best kind of drummer, from Los Angeles and actually the half-nephew of Charlie Chaplin. And Grace Slick had been in another San Francisco band called The Great Society with her then-husband and brother-in-law uh, before joining the airplane, and uh, they broke up after she left to join Jefferson Airplane, and she and Jerry Slick divorced in 71, which is the same year that she and Paul Kantner had a daughter together. Confusing stuff, I know. In fact, in one of the uh, episodes of the good old Grateful Dead cast from 
I think it was one of the seasons last year. Um, I forget which episode, but they were uh, talking about how the dead in the airplane were friends and used to play baseball against each other out at one of the ranches and stuff and uh, said that the members of the airplane often kind of uh, looked on the, the familial atmosphere of the dead where everyone got along so well uh kind of longingly because the uh the interpersonal relations in the airplane were always a bit more contentious apparently which is uh not unique to the airplane the dead are by far the exception being a band that was able to keep ego and friction at bay so well for so long uh anyhow so with Jefferson Airplane with their classic lineup, which would remain steady until Spencer Dryden left in early 1970, now set, they set about creating their second album, Surrealistic Pillow, which was recorded from October 31st to November 22nd, 1966 at RCA Victor's Music Center in Hollywood. And speaking of the dead, Jerry Garcia was actually quite involved in the process. He's officially credited as spiritual advisor, as well as having played guitar on Today, Coming Back to Me, and Plastic Fantastic Lover. Uh, he plays the high lead part on Today, and he confirmed all of that in a 1967 interview and also said that he helped rearrange Somebody to Love. However, Rick Gerard, the album's producer, denied that Jerry played on anything. Now, because Jerry was one of the least egotistical musicians of all time, I'm inclined to believe that he did play on those tracks. I just can't see him trying to take credit for something that wasn't him. Uh, they also remained close friends and collaborators after this album, which likely wouldn't happen if he was trying to take credit that he didn't deserve. Uh, furthermore, that high lead on today sounds just like Jerry. Uh, it could even be where he first conceived the Dark Star licks, which was written in 1967. As for why Gerard would dispute the contributions by Jerry, I'm not sure. But you would think that someone in the band would have backed him up by now if it were true that Jerry didn't play on anything. Um, when you have the band, Jerry, and the album's credits all saying that he played on stuff and the producer being the one guy saying that he didn't, um, I'm inclined to think that he did play. And uh, as to Gerard's motivation for saying that he didn't, anybody's guess. Jerry also unwittingly contributed the album's title, saying that the music was, quote, as surrealistic as a pillow is soft. So Surrealistic Pillow was released on February 1st, 1967, reached number three in the States, and there were three singles from it. My Best Friend reached number 103, Somebody to Love reached number five, and White Rabbit reached number eight and the album has been certified platinum by the RIAA for uh, certified units in the States. Okay, so now we're going to move into the detailed track-by-track -track observations, and then we'll do general thoughts and where I think 
surrealistic pillow fits in the airplane's catalog and how I would score it and rank it and all that. Um, before we get going with the track by track, I'll just give you the personnel. Marty Ballin, guitar and vocals. He sings lead on today, coming back to me and plastic, fantastic lover and co-lead on she has funny cars, my best friend and three fifths of a mile in 10 seconds. Paul Kantner, rhythm guitar and vocals. He sings lead on how do you feel and co-lead on my best friend and DCBA minus 25. Grace Slick, piano, organ, recorder, and vocals. She sings lead on Somebody to Love and White Rabbit and co-lead on She Has Funny Cars, My Best Friend, Three-Fifths of a Mile in 10 Seconds, and DCBA minus 25. Yorma Kokkinen, lead guitar, Jack Cassidy, bass, fuzz bass, and rhythm guitar, and Spencer Dryden, drums and percussion. All right, so the album opens with She Has Funny Cars, and as usual, I'll read you the lyrics and talk about what I think they're saying first, and then we'll talk about the music. So its lyrics are as follows. Every day I try so hard to know your mind and find out what's inside you. Time goes on, and I don't know just where you are or how I'm going to find you. You can do whatever you please. The world's waiting to be seized. You can collect all the neglect or all the self-respect you need, and I know, and I know, and I know, your mind's guaranteed, it's all you'll ever need, so what do you want with me? We live but once, but good things can be found around, in spite of all the sorrow. If you see black, you can't look back, you can't look front, you cannot face tomorrow. Some have it nice, flash paradise, they're very wise to their disguise. they trying to revolutionize tomorrow. And then the chorus again, and I know your mind's guaranteed. It's all you'll ever need. So what do you want with me? So basically about the uniqueness and inscrutability of each of our minds, your own mind is the only thing that you can truly count on is what this is saying. And there's a bit of a commentary on materialism too. Uh, as far as the music, I love how heavy the reverb is. Starts with just the drums, which are in the left channel but you can hear the echo of them quite prominently in the right channel and the staggered entrance of all of them. Uh, each member that is sounds like each of them stepping out from behind a door or something. I like how Dryden just grooves on the toms in the rock section, giving it a primal feel and the contrast between the rocking section that opens the song and the jazzier section that follows, which repeats once, uh, you know, the first, part of the verse is the rocking section and then it goes jazzy partway through and then builds to a crescendo in the chorus and does that twice of course um the contrast between those two sections is great and a perfect representation of slipping through the doors of perception if you will from the standard rock music of that day into something weirder and wilder which would soon become the norm in 1967 thanks to Jefferson Airplane and The Doors and others. And in that sense, it's a great opener for this album. And uh, we get a hint at how exciting and adventurous they could be in the live setting on the outro, which fades out, leaving us wanting more. Track two is Somebody to Love. 
which was actually written by Darby Slick, Grace's brother-in-law, while she was in Great Society, and they recorded it and released it, and it didn't really take off, but the Airplanes version sure did. So its lyrics are as follows. Verse 1, When the truth is found to be lies, and all the joy within you dies. So that's saying basically when you find out that a person or institution or philosophy or whatever it may be that you placed a lot of trust in actually wasn't trustworthy, it can be a huge bummer. And we've really been grappling with this at a societal level once again these past two years, just as the members of the airplane were here in the mid-60s. And then the chorus, don't you want somebody to love? Don't you need somebody to love? Wouldn't you love somebody to love? You better find somebody to love. Um, having someone to love can be a great anchor during times like those described in the first verse. And if it's a relationship that shattered in verse one, this could be lamenting, having to start the search, as it were, all over again to find a new somebody. Verse two, when the garden flowers, baby, are dead, yes, and your mind, your mind is so full of red. This seems to fit the broken relationship interpretation. Uh, something that was beautiful has died, and you're mad about it. And then it repeats the chorus again. Verse 3, your eyes, I say your eyes may look like his. Yeah, but in your head, baby, I'm afraid you don't know where it is. So she finds a guy who looks similar to the guy who broke her heart, but he's not nearly as enthralling mentally. And then it repeats the chorus again. Verse four, tears are running. They're all running down your breast and your friends, baby, they treat you like a guest. Could imply that the friend group took the other person's side in the breakup. And now not only do you need a new romantic partner, but you have to find new friends as well. And then the chorus one last time. So overall, those lyrics do a good job of capturing the feeling of being alone or without anything or anyone to turn to and wanting somebody to love. And notice how concise they are. The verses are really short, hammering you back into that chorus again and again. It's no wonder that it took off and became a huge hit. Anyhow, musically, I love, love, love how it starts in media res, uh, jumping right into the action with Grace Slick introducing herself and the band really to the world with such gravitas and command, almost domineeringly so, like a, a female version of like a cross between prime Robert Plant and Mick Jagger. And the whole song is quite a powerhouse performance from her vocally. Kokkonen's guitar is so bright and on. It reminds me of Robbie Krieger's tone on the solo of Light My Fire, but turned up a few more notches even. And that initial lick that Kokkonen does here at the start of the song is what uh, really hooked me. And as far as why I was so into psychedelic rock as a little kid, I guess is a question for another episode, but I think I have a, I have a hunch as to why uh, I mentioned kind of frequently my interest in personality psychology and the Myers-Briggs typology system and all of that. And as an INTJ, my inferior function is extroverted sensing. 
and I've, uh, I love the personality hacker podcast. And in one of Joel and Antonia did an episode talking about the kind of, uh, polarizing nature of the inferior function, how it's often either turned up to 11 or completely off in a blind spot for you. And I think that shows up in my interest in psychedelic rock because uh, it appeals to that that inferior function of extroverted sensing um, where I always want the fastest, the loudest, the brightest, the spiciest, the the tangiest, the strongest, and so on. And psychedelic rock is like turning the dial past 10, you know, like, whoa, it can be even brighter than the brightest. Sign me up. Anyway, that's Kokkonen's opening guitar lick. I love the dramatic pause between the first verse and chorus. Dryden's drumming is so persistent, the whole song, just bass and snare on all four beats, like I can't get no satisfaction by the Stones. Uh, he crashes on the down and up beats back to back in a few spots, as you'll hear Phil Rudd do often, uh, in the ACDC drummer, of course, uh, in things like the You Shook Me All Night Long chorus, for example. And I find that upbeat crashes, especially following a downbeat crash, give a real sense of opening up which is a good fit for opening the doors of perception sort of music. And then he also does frequent builds with eighth notes on the toms that really give it an extra push. Ballin and Kantner's backing vocals during the chorus add to the urgency nicely. Cassidy's bass is really the instrument adding melodic interest throughout as the guitars mostly clang along very bright and jangly in line with the drums and Cassidy takes the bass for a nice walk during the brief outro jam. Kokkinen's lead work is very cool. He sort of makes me think of a cross between Jerry Garcia and the heavier blues-based guys like Page and Clapton and Hendrix. He pulls the plug on the outro jam just as it's really heating up, giving a taste of what they could do live, but keeping it radio-friendly, which was a good call because like Light My Fire, Somebody to Love became one of the signature songs of both the Summer of Love in 1967 and the psychedelic era in general. And I like it much better than the Queen song of the same name. Though that's a good song too. Alright, track three is My Best Friend. Its lyrics are as follows. Ah, you're my best friend, and I love you so well. Till the end of time you won't see me. Ah, you're my best friend. When I see you, it seems. Now I can see I've fallen into your love stream. I follow your dream. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I follow you wherever time will take me to. Forever I'll be one with you. One with you. One with you. Ah, you're my best friend. And I'm all that you're seeing. I'll set you free and just like me, you'll be being in love with me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know what I mean now? I'm going to set you free, yeah. You'll be in love with me, uh-huh. You're my best friend now. Ah, you're my best friend, and I love you so well. Till the end of time, you won't see me. Ah, you're my best friend. When I see you, it seems. Now I can see I've fallen into your love stream. I follow your dream. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know what I mean now? You'll be in love with me now. I'm going to set you free. Yeah. Oh, you're my best friend now. Ah, you're my best friend. So it seems to describe falling for your best friend and them not seeing you in that light, at least not yet, but being pretty confident that they will before too long. Instrumentally, Dryden's marching band style snare intro lends the feeling of an important announcement coming, which is a perfect fit for a song about professing your love to a friend whom you would like to be more than that. The whimsical lilt of the first part of each verse feels like going for a walk with said friend, trying to find the right moment to tell them how you feel. And then notice how it becomes more persistent and driving as each verse goes along. Uh, once he confesses his feelings, he's really bent on finding out if she feels the same way. The acoustic guitar takes prominence here with a very wet sounding electric lead part in the left channel that plays a more complementary role. It's impressive to get such a wide range in dynamics and intensity on an acoustic. Gorgeous three-part co-lead vocals from Ballon, Kantner, and Slick, and overall a very sweet and relatable song. Track four is Today. Its lyrics are as follows. Today, I feel like pleasing you more than before. Today, I know what I want to do, but I don't know what for. To be living for you is all I want to do. To be loving you, it'll all be there when my dreams come true. Verse 2. Today you'll make me say that I somehow have changed. Today you look into my eyes, I'm just not the same. To be any more than all I am would be a lie. I'm so full of love, I could burst apart and start to cry. Verse 3. Today everything you want, I swear it all will come true. Today, I realize how much I'm in love with you. With you standing here, I could tell the world what it means to love, to go on from here. I can't use words. They don't say enough. And then outro, please, please listen to me. It's taken so long to come true, and it's all for you. All for you. Um, so a very beautiful love letter of sorts certainly has a psychedelic flair with lines like, I know what I want to do, but I don't know why. And I'm so full of love, I could burst apart and start to cry. Uh, I can't use words, they don't say enough. These are feelings that can uh, be experienced by anyone in love, but they certainly suggest the psychedelic experience as well. That piercing, ethereal, high lead part by Jerry Garcia sort of foreshadows the the licks that he would play on the soon-to-be-written Dark Star. The acoustic part, which drives it along, is equally enchanting, with some neat picking during the choruses that sounds kind of banjo-like. Really stunning vocals from Balin. He doesn't get enough credit in the pantheon of rock singers, in my opinion. And Slick and Kantner's backing vocals on the choruses sound very ghostly. The mix is very spacious, seemingly implying some measure of distance between Balin and the woman that it's addressed to. Uh, overall, one of the very best psychedelic love songs, I think. And then side one draws to a close with Coming Back to Me. Its lyrics are as follows. Verse one, the summer had inhaled and held its breath too long. The winter looked the same as if it never had gone. 
and through an open window where no curtain hung, I saw you, I saw you, coming back to me. One begins to read between the pages of a look, the shape of sleepy music, and suddenly you're hooked. Through the rain upon the trees that kisses on the run, I saw you, I saw you, coming back to me. Bridge, you came to stay and live my way, scatter my love like leaves in the wind. You always say you won't go away, but I know what it always has been, it always has been. Verse 3, a transparent dream beneath an occasional sigh, most of the time I just let it go by, now I wish it hadn't begun, I saw you, yes I saw you, coming back to me. Strolling the hills, this verse 4, strolling the hills overlooking the shore, I realize I've been here before. The shadow in the mist could have been anyone. I saw you, I saw you, coming back to me. And then verse 5, small things like reasons are put in a jar. Whatever happened to wishes wished upon a star. Was it just something that I made up for fun? I saw you, I saw you, coming back to me. So by Balin's own admission, he wrote it whilst very stoned, and it seems to me that uh, basically he either has a literal vision that this girl comes back to him or he visualizes or fantasizes about it and then eventually realizes that he was just tricking himself and it ain't going to happen. Uh, musically, it starts with soft acoustic picking in the right channel and some acoustic strumming in the left that reminds me of the Rain Song by Led Zeppelin. Haunting recorder playing from Slick uh, equally beautiful vocal performance from Balin to today, but in a different way. It sounds like uh, sitting on a porch, tripping, staring out into the mist, and uh, starting to imagine the girl coming back to you. One of the best psychedelic ballads, I think. And uh, leaves you in a very melancholic, contemplative sort of state as you stand up to flip the record over. Okay, and then side two kicks off with three-fifths of a mile in 10 seconds, which works out to about 216 miles per hour. Its lyrics are as follows. Verse one, do away with people blowing my mind. Do away with people wasting my precious time. Take me to a simple place where I can easily see my face. Maybe, baby, I'll say that you were kind. And then a refrain, no, I love you, baby. Yes, I do repeated once. Verse 2, do away with people laughing at my hair, do away with people frowning on my precious prayers, take me to a circus tent where I can easily pay my rent, and all the other freaks will share my cares, and then the refrain again. Do away with things that come on obscene, like high-priced, pretty clean, real fine nicotine. Sometimes the price is $65, Prices like that make a grown man holler, especially when it's sold by a kid who's only 15. And then the refrain again, and then the outro, it says three-fifths of a mile in 10 seconds. So basically it seems to be an urge to get away from the so-called squares, as they would call them back then, and live a peaceful life. With respect to verse 3, uh, one genius lyrics, uh, the website 
where I often get these from, uh, one annotator there claims to have lived in the Hyde Ashbury neighborhood of San Francisco in the mid sixties and says there was a teenage dealer named Charlie whose price for a kilo of marijuana was $65. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that sounds reasonable to me. And the title could be a psychedelic nod to, uh, you know, moving unnaturally fast. Dryden drives it along with the bass drum and snare on all four beats like he did in Somebody to Love. The stabs of guitar are bright and thick. Cockinen turns in a nifty and nimble solo. And overall, it's quote unquote just a solid. Uh, stomping and stabbing blues rocker that is a great way to pick the pace back up to kick off side two. Track seven is DCBA minus 25. Its lyrics are as follows. It's time you walked away and set me free. I must move away, leave you be. Time's been good to us, my friend. Wait and see how it will end. We come and go as we please. That's how it has to be. Verse two. Here in Crystal Chandelier, I'm home. Too many days I've left unstoned. If you don't mind happiness, purple pleasure fields in the sun. Ah, don't you know I'm running home to a place to you unknown. I take great peace in your sitting there, searching for myself. I find a place there. I see the people of the world, where they are and what they could be. I can but dance behind your smile. You were the world to me for a while. Um, so clearly a breakup song of sorts, the details of which are fairly inscrutable to me, I must admit. Musically, nice bass intro from Cassidy with Dryden accenting him softly with the bass drum and the ride. Once it kicks into gear, it sounds like a mix between the earlier 60s sound and the lighter, poppier side of psychedelia, things like The Rain, The Park, and Other Things by The Cow Sills. Uh, the guitars have a jang jangly sound during the first half of each verse, which is reminiscent of the birds. And then we get the more typical wired psychedelic Jefferson airplane tone during the latter half of each verse. Um, and nice harmonies that are kind of Beatlesque on this one. And then track eight is How Do You Feel? Its lyrics are as follows. Verse one, look into her eyes. Do you see what I mean? Just look at her hair, and when she speaks, oh, what a pleasant surprise. Verse 2. How do you feel? Just look at her smile. Do you see what I mean? She is looking our way. Oh, how I wish we could stay. Just stay for a while. How do you feel? And then the bridge. When I meet a girl like that, I don't know what to say, but to greet a girl like that brightens up my day. My day. Oh, how do you feel? Verse 3. Just look at her walk. Do you see what I mean? She is coming our way. Oh, how my heart beats. I don't even think I could talk. How do you feel? And then repeats the core, the bridge again. And then there's an outro sort of call and response between lead and backing vocals. How do you feel? Do you know how you feel? Just look at her smile. Tell me, how do you feel? Look into her eyes. Tell me, how do you feel? She is coming our way. Tell me, how do you feel? And so on. Um, very relatable song. He sees a girl that he fancies so much. He barely knows what to say, but just seeing her and giving it a shot brightens his day. 
In light of the psychedelic nature of the album, you could surmise that he's tripping and that affects his ability to come up with something to say. Um, how do you feel could be what he comes up with as far as what to say to her, uh, depending on how you read where the punctuation should be in the lines, um, which is, uh, you know, funny. You're sitting there tripping. You're like, oh, I got to talk to this girl. And it takes you 10 minutes to dream up something to say. And then you get her attention and say, how do you feel? And she's like, are you from this planet? Um, what planet are you about? As Bill Walton would probably say it. Um, anyway, musically, Slick's recorder lends it a medieval feel and the distant tambourine being the most prominent percussion part adds to that sort of medieval feel as well. Uh, there is a drum part, but it's nice and quiet. The harmonies are prominent volume wise, but distant, which makes them sound massive. Cassidy sticks to a mostly sticks to a three note bass pattern that's really trance inducing. And I love how the instruments drop out at the end for an acapella finish where they they run through that call and response a few times without any instruments. It sounds so whimsically and peacefully trippy, which is perfectly in line with the lyrics as most good songs are. And that's actually something that I really look for now is the music paying close attention to the story and propelling it and complimenting it and accenting and all that. Having said that, track nine, Embryonic Journey is an instrumental one of the most beautiful acoustic guitar instrumentals at that, uh, along with the Allman Brothers Band's Little Martha and Led Zeppelin's Brown Rar, those would probably be my top three in that little subcategory. Uh, to me, they're equally beautiful and all scratch a slightly different itch. Embryonic Journey was composed and performed by Kokkonen. He wrote it in 1962 and included it here at the band's behest, and it was actually recorded on the last day of the sessions for the album. It sounds at once hopeful and resigned. It's very romantic and has a real feeling of being at peace with things, which made it the perfect choice to close the final episode of the popular sitcom Friends. And it's also the perfect way to lull you to sleep before the climax of the album which is White Rabbit, its lyrics are as follows. One pill makes you larger, and one pill makes you small, and the ones that mother gives you don't do anything at all. Go ask Alice when she's ten feet tall. Verse 2. And if you go chasing rabbits, and you know you're going to fall, tell them a hookah-smoking caterpillar has given you the call. He called Alice when she was just small. Verse 3, when the men on the chessboard get up and tell you where to go, and you've just had some kind of mushroom, and your mind is moving low, go ask Alice, I think she'll know. Verse 4, when logic and proportion have fallen sloppy dead, and the white knight is talking backwards, and the red queen's off with her head, remember what the dormouse said, feed your head feed your head. So it uses references to Alice in Wonderland to describe the psychedelic experience. And many of these references initially flew over the heads of radio censors, allowing it to become hugely popular before efforts were made to blacklist it. Uh, once those efforts did start being made, 
being made. Uh, some of them are pretty humorous. The Illinois Crime Commission said it was extolling the kicks provided by LSD and other psychedelics. Uh, well, yes, <laughs> precisely the point. Um, the remember what the Dormouse said, feed your head line is intriguing. Feed your head is obviously imploring you to try psychedelics. In, the Alice in, in Alice in Wonderland, though, in the book, when the Mad Hatter is questioned in court, he's asked what the Dormouse said, and he can't remember, to which the king says that he'll be executed if he can't remember. Thus, if they're suggesting that feed your head is what the Dormouse said, this line would seem to be driving home the life or death importance of feeding your head. Or it could be saying, you know, feed your head to try to remember before you know, quick before it's too late. Um, feed your head is kind of my motto, actually, since uh, hearing this song as a, a wee boy. Uh, I would spend all waking hours feeding my head if I could. I don't necessarily mean psychedelics, just learning. Uh, well, f feeding my head and feeding my spirit. Uh, I love food, but I swear you waste so much time and money between either going to get it or preparing it yourself, God help you, that'll take a lot of time, and eating it, especially if you're eating with chatty people. Um, I wish that, you know, when I have time to sit there and enjoy it because I like food, I would eat, but I wish sometimes you could just press a button and be full so that you could keep being productive. Um, I, I remember reading in high school that most people only use two to three percent of their brain their entire life, and I made it my my life's mission to unlock the further percentages. So you gotta spend as much time as you can feeding your head. Uh Grace Slick has also said that it that the song was a metaphor for her own breaking free from the quote planned bland fifties quote unquote of her childhood and uh falling down the rabbit's hole by joining a rock band and all that. Musically, it's in a march tempo with Spanish bolero-inspired music. Uh, Grace Slick was also heavily inspired for this song by Miles Davis's Sketches of Spain album, which came out in 1960, and she listened to it on acid for 24 hours straight, quote, until it burned into my brain, quote-unquote. And uh, particularly Concierto de Aranjuez, which is uh, most of side one. She said that part in particular inspired her. And John Paul Jones actually quotes that piece in his solo in No Quarter on March 24th, 1975 at the Forum in Los Angeles. I believe he does The Last Night at Earl's Court as well, May 25th, 75. Anyhow, uh, the song starts with Cassidy's bass, which is very trebly and high fidelity here. Great tone. And then we get Dryden's marching band snare. Cockinen's lead guitar then enters, and I can certainly hear the bolero elements and the Sketches of Spain influence. I used to think it sounded like snake charmer music. Grace's voice is so hypnotizing in the softer parts, and then in the louder parts, like on Somebody to Love, almost frighteningly powerful and in command, like she's going in for the kill and, you know, sort of adopting the role of the executioner in the song, remember what the Dormouse said. Um, and then quite the reverse of Somebody to Love starting 
in the middle of the action, this one cuts off in the middle of the action. We're left with a cliffhanger. Did they remember what the Dormouse said in time or were they executed? Um, like Somebody to Love, though, it's one of the absolute most emblematic songs of the Summer of Love and the psychedelic era in general. Few other songs place you in that time so immediately and so completely as soon as they start playing. And it's so concise, too. Two and a half minutes on the nose, almost a, a screw you to the musical establishments. Two and a half minute pop song formula of the time to uh, create a massive radio hit within that formula as far as the time is concerned, but something that's as far out and revolutionary as anything still fitting within that two and a half minutes so neatly. And then the album draws to a close with Plastic Fantastic Lover. Its lyrics are as follows. Verse one, her neon mouth with the blinkers off smile, nothing but an electric sign. You could say she has an individual style. She's a part of a colorful time. Secrecy of lady chrome covered clothes. You wear cause you have no other, but I suppose no one knows you're my plastic fantastic lover. Verse two, her rattling cough never shuts off, is nothing but a used machine. Her aluminum finish, slightly diminished, is the best I ever have seen. Cosmetic baby plugged into me, I'd never ever find another. And I realize no one's wise to my plastic fantastic lover. And then verse 3, the electrical dust is starting to rust, her trapezoid thermometer taste. All the red tape is mechanical rape of the TV program Waste, Data Control and IBM, Science is Mankind's Brother, but all I see is draining me on my plastic fantastic lover. So it's a very clever tale of someone addicted to the hot new technology of the day, color television, and how he breaks free of it in the end, um, and sort of using a compare, uh, describing it as a woman, but it's pretty obvious that it's a TV. Um, the opening line though, I do think can apply nicely to it being a woman, her neon mouth with the blinkers off smile. Um, I think that's a really clever way of saying, uh, that she has a really bright smile that kind of catches you by surprise. You know, it's, it's neon, but the blinkers are off. Um, and then the in the last verse, science's mankind's brother line is quite obviously sarcastic. Musically, it's another stomping blues rocker with an acoustic playing the rhythm part. Some nice piano contributions from Grace as well, a bit reminiscent of Riders on the Storm, actually. Uh, really searing lead guitar licks. It sounds like a psychedelicized version of the blues rockers like Leopard Skin Pillbox Hat on Bob Dylan's Blonde on Blonde album, which came out a few months before the airplane recorded this album, so it's definitely possible that there was some influence there. Similar to The Grateful Dead's American Beauty, where Addicts of My Life would be the perfect closer and feels like it is the closer in many ways, but then you have Truckin' as the actual closer, functioning more like an encore almost to leave you on a more upbeat note. Uh, similar to that, I think here on Surrealistic Pillow, White Rabbit would be the perfect closer in many ways, and emotionally it is the climax of the album. 
but it would almost be too intense to leave you with that explosion of a finish. So they show some mercy and go out with this fun little number as an encore of sorts instead. Okay, so as far as general observations about Surrealistic Pillow, I think the cover art is a standard enough picture of the band sort of cover, which was the standard back then, but certainly different enough to let you know that they weren't a three-minute pop song sort of band. It's got a good mix of smiling and stoic, looking at the camera and not looking at the camera, uncovered and obscured faces. The hot pink banner that the title is in and the faded hot pink filter applied to the picture of the band is perfect. Uh, it's psychedelic and it's romantic. And then the fairy tale sort of font of the title is a nice nod to the Alice in Wonderland references in White Rabbit. The sonic palette is much more acoustic than you would expect for such an iconic psychedelic rock album, although it would be more accurate to call it half psychedelic rock, half psychedelic folk, I think, which was a really unique mix of genres at the time. There's great textural variety with the acoustic guitars. Sometimes they're quite clear and detailed, like on Embryonic Journey. Other times they're thick and jangly. Great tonal variety with the electric guitars. Sometimes they're bright and on and exploding out of the speakers. And other times they're subdued and enchanting. And yet other times they're ethereal and exploratory, like Garcia's part on Today. There's a lot of texture to the vocal harmonies as well because of how different Marty, Paul, and Grace's voices are. They certainly aren't choral Beach Boys sort of harmonies, but they're perfect for this music. And Cassidy gets a good mix of warm, fat bass tones and trebly detailed ones, depending on what's needed. Dryden makes prominent use of tambourine in addition to the drums and Grace's occasional recorder and keys contributions add sophistication. As far as the playing and singing itself, it really showcases great tastefulness and restraint throughout. Everything is serving the songs, everyone gets their turn in the limelight, and has songs where they're in the background or not playing at all really. Dryden and Cassidy do a great job of adding meaningful contributions throughout, even though there are several songs that aren't typical showing off the rhythm section sorts of songs. Kantner's rhythm guitar playing is exactly what you want that role to be, the secret sauce that glues it all together, which every once in a while takes prominence for a few seconds and you think, oh, that's really neat. And his backing vocals add a lot too. Kokkinen's lead playing is diverse and exciting throughout. As I said earlier, he sounds like a cross between Jerry Garcia and the heavier blues-based guys and is quite underrated, I think. Balan's vocals are fantastic, kind of an ethereal crooner, a very underrated singer, I think. Slick's vocals are the opposite of crooner, powerful and really arresting, though still smooth. I think she probably gets her due in terms of respect, but you'd probably be surprised by how many uh, female singers in genres quite different to this sort of stuff uh, cite her as an influence and as an inspiration for being able to break into the boys club like she did. Uh, she's one of my favorite singers and certainly my favorite female rock singer. I don't think any of the others quite had her combination of powerful vocals and commanding persona to be able to be a convincing front woman in a rock band. 
thematically speaking, Surrealistic Pillow is kind of equal parts psychedelic, opening the doors of perception, and uh, romantic. It's actually quite a fitting Valentine's Day album, now that I uh, listen closely and analyze the lyrics and everything. In the episode about The Doors' debut a few weeks ago, which uh, came out just under a month before this, we talked about how Light My Fire is psychedelic in how it sounds, despite not really being so lyrically. And there's certainly a lot of that going on on this album. White Rabbit is the only one that's really that overtly psychedelic lyrically. Uh, much more often, the lyrics are tackling normal topics through a psychedelically informed lens. By psychedelically informed, I mean, in most cases, that you've taken them, but aren't currently on them. Not surprisingly, given its positioning at the start of 1967, I think Surrealistic Pillow is a great entry point to psychedelia, and certainly acted as a springboard for that genre or subgenre exploding that summer in The Summer of Love. However, even if you put all of that aside, it's just a great album with well-written and well-arranged songs that are really well-played and well-sung, and presented through very good production for that time. It's interesting that Jefferson Airplane were really the first of the iconic San Francisco bands to make a truly excellent studio album like this. I mean, they beat The Grateful Dead to the punch by a full three, almost three and a half years. Working Man's Dead would be their first truly excellent studio album, I would say, and that didn't come out until mid-June 1970. Okay, in terms of placing Surrealistic Pillow within Jefferson Airplane's catalog, it's the only album of theirs that I've heard in full, though I am familiar with several individual songs from other albums of theirs. I definitely will do a full pilgrimage through their catalog sometime soon. I'm aware that Surrealistic Pillow is generally regarded as their best complete work, though. Uh, even though the band themselves felt it was a bit too streamlined compared to the true experience of seeing them live, which is something the Grateful Dead struggled with, too, actually. Uh, and not unlike the uh, the folkiness of this album, the Dead's two best studio albums, Working Man's Dead and American Beauty, are their folk or Americana albums. So it's interesting that in both cases, when they kept it stripped down and just focused on really good songwriting, they were able to make great studio albums. Uh, anyhow, back to where Surrealistic Pillow fits in the Airplanes catalog. Not that popularity is everything, but their top five most streamed songs on Spotify are all from this album. White Rabbit is first, 172.5 million. Somebody to Love, second, almost 170 million. Then a big drop, Today is third, about 35 million. Embryonic Journey, fourth, 14 million. And Coming Back to Me is fifth, about 5.5 million streams. Alright, in terms of scoring Surrealistic Pillow and placing it in the Airplanes catalog, I'd probably go with a 4.25 out of 5. The raw song score per song, when I just give each song a rating out of 5 and average, or you know, divide by the number of songs, uh, would probably be more like a 4.1, but I give it a bump for cohesion, pacing, which is excellent here, uniqueness with that blend of psychedelic rock and sort of psychedelic folk and influence because it's 
it was hugely influential, not just in the psychedelic subgenre, but beyond that as well. According to acclaimed music, which uh, averages out a song or album's finish across all published lists to try to get a little closer to the truth, um, according to their numbers, Surrealistic Pillow is the 182nd most celebrated album of all time the ninth most of 1967 and the 37th most of the 60s. And trying to put personal taste aside, I think that's probably reasonable. Um, I mean, if you're in the top 200 of all time, taking in all genres, that is pretty good. Uh, I certainly rank it higher myself, but it's probably fair. Uh, ninth highest in 1967 might be a little low but as i said last week when we were talking about between the buttons the stones first album of 67 that year is packed like that's one of the best years for music of all time so anytime you're in the top 10 for 67 you're doing something right uh 37th most celebrated of the 60s yeah that's probably within reason uh i would say there the 60s was the best decade for music even though Zeppelin and my favorite parts of the Grateful Dead were in the 70s and a lot of the Stones great stuff. Overall, the 60s are the decade where I like almost everything. Uh, and then as far as individual songs from here, a few of them also place on acclaimed music. White Rabbit is the 174th most celebrated song of all time, the 10th most of 1967 and 56th most of the 60s, so that's pretty good. Somebody to Love, 385th most celebrated of all time, 20th most of 67, and 112th most of the 1960s. And then Today is the 9,688th most celebrated song of all time, 233rd for 67, and 1542 out of the 60s and embryonic journey is listed in the ones that are bubbling below the top 10,000 of all time um so that's the the average of where it finishes across all published lists on my personal list surrealistic pillows in my top 25 and it has a very unique vibe that i don't think I can get from any other album quite to this extent uh, in terms of what sort of listening experience I associate it with. Um, probably a, a stationary, like nice and loud, but putting it on the turntable and maybe you got a, a lava lamp or something and just soaking it in. Um, I, I think all music works on some level for driving and walking. Some stuff's just better suited to it than others. Um, but this one's a good one to sit down and just absorb. And in terms of where the airplane would fit on my, my little chart of the four ways that music appeal to us, uh, you know, in your body, in your mind, in your heart, and in your spirit, or kind of intuitively, um, I think this album actually, uh, appeals in all four of those ways to a decent extent, which you don't always find. Usually uh, you might get two, even three, but very few manage to hit all four. So hats off to the airplane on that front. 
Okay, so that brings us to the end. I hope you didn't find it too brief, but uh, maybe that's better that we moved through it at a decent clip. I really love this album and was delighted to talk about it. As I said at the beginning, I encourage you to follow the show on any and all social media platforms so that you can be kept abreast of all the latest happenings pertaining to the show. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at rocktalk.dr.cropper, on Twitter at rocktalkdrcrop with two Ps, and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper. And you can also email me rocktalk.dr.cropper at gmail.com. And please feel free to reach out via any of those channels if you have any questions for me, feedback, topics that you'd like me to cover. Speaking of which, uh, if you want priority sequence for that, or you just have an appetite for a bit more content, consider subscribing to Dr. Cropper's Office Hour, the Apple Podcasts exclusive uh, premium spinoff of the show. For $4.99 American per month, you get access to a minimum of two subscriber-only bonus episodes, but it's going to be more than that. Moving forward, um, I just yesterday did a Beatles versus Stones episode going through that whole debate and where I fall on it and would like to do more episodes like that. So especially if you have topic requests that are a matchup between two different artists that you would like me to compare, please send me those. I'd like to do those more often over on the premium show. Uh, I've also been covering music news a bit there. And next week on that show, my brother Spencer Cropper and I are going to be going through Fleetwood Mac's Rumors album for its 45th anniversary. So lots of reasons to head over there. Also, it gives you 10% off of merchandise. So if you're interested in that, t-shirts and hoodies, both available in white and black with the show's script logo in the inverse of that, uh, $40 Canadian, two for 70 for the t-shirts and $80, two for one fifty for the hoodies. So let me know if any of that interests you. But um, even if you don't want merchandise, consider subscribing to the office hour and there is a one month free trial. So check it out, see if you like it, all that. All right. Uh, I encourage you to leave a rating and review if you feel so inclined. Uh, if that's an option, wherever you're listening, uh, really helpful to me. That feature has been available for a while on Apple Podcasts, and they just added it to Spotify about a month ago. So those of you who listen there are now able to do it as well. And uh, yeah, if you are new to the show, welcome. I hope you like what you heard. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have been listening for a while, thank you so much for the support. It means a lot. Lastly, you may notice at the bottom of the description, wherever you're listening, the buy me a coffee link, the virtual tip jar. No pressure, of course, but if you feel so inclined, it really helps me stay awake when I am listening to all of this stuff to analyze for you all. So uh, consider that. And next week, we are going to be talking about the Allman Brothers Band's Eat a Peach album for its 50th anniversary. And we actually mentioned a song that's on that uh, today. Little Martha is on that album. So that should be a good one to talk about. And also my copy of The Grateful Dead's Dave's Picks Volume 41 should be here any day now. Once I get that, I'll give it a listen or two and throw up a review of it as well. All right, so... Go enjoy the Super Bowl. If you are looking for some football content last year around Super Bowl time, my friend Graydon Dennison and I um, did a fairly long episode 
comparing drummers to NFL quarterbacks past and present. And it was a really fun episode. I actually quite proud of that one. So uh, go back and check it out. If you're interested, I think that's episode 31 in the low thirties. Uh, anyway, have a listen to that if you like. And also Valentine's day did an episode with my top 100 love songs last year, which is episode 32 or three. Both of those are in the low thirties. So go check those two out. If you like this weekend and enjoy the super bowl, go Bengals. Hopefully uh, they pull it out, but it should be fun and have a happy Valentine's day. Uh, whether you are single or taken, um, don't sweat it too much. If you are feeling a little lonely, there's lots of great music to make you feel a lot better. All right. So see you next week to talk about eat a peach and have a great weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl and Valentine's day class dismissed.